Welcome to another episode of Cloud and Culture. I'm Danielle Burrow from VMware. And I'm Derek Harris from VMware. In this episode, we dove into the topic of building a secure software supply chain with Alex Barbado and John Shell. We talked about what we mean by secure software supply chain, the tooling you need to achieve this outcome, and how roles and responsibilities are changing for operators, developers, and security, especially in the context of the cloud-native open source ecosystem. Before we get into the interview, we're asking for the first time ever on Cloud & Culture that if you enjoy the podcast, please rate it on your platform of choice. And now, enjoy Alex and John discussing how to keep secure without slowing down developers. Welcome, John and Alex. Thank you so much for being here with us today. John, could you go ahead and quickly introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do at VMware Tanzu, and then Alex will we'll move on to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm John Shell, even though the last name is spelled KJ, it's pronounced SH. And I am an engineering lead for the supply chain tools program under the Tanzu application platform product. So pretty much spend all day and too many nights thinking about software supply chain security. And I'm Alex Barbado. I am a solution engineer now in our public sector federal business. So I help our customers kind of see where our products and services might fit for them. In a past life, I uh, used to be in our Tanzu Labs org where I would help teams with security and compliance, which could maybe all just be summarized as I took the amazing work that John did and then broke it really bad and asked him to help me fix it for customers. So that's where I'm at now. (laughs) Well, we appreciate you both being here to share your uh, perspectives. And I thought maybe we could just start the conversation with a really simple, but maybe complex, deceivingly complex question. What is a secure software supply chain, especially in the context of cloud native technology, and especially Kubernetes? Yeah, so I think, you know, the starting place with is software, right? So we're, we're building software, and we need to get that from source code and eventually turn it into an application. These days, more and more of that source code is coming from the open source community. So it's from upstream, other people are writing the code. You have no idea who these people are most of the time. Um, And then you're gonna use them, you're gonna put them in your own applications, your own code, build it, turn it into a container image and deploy it on Kubernetes. And there's a lot of different things throughout that process that could be potentially compromised. And there's ways to add trust to each of those steps in your process of developing software. Uh, And then the other interesting part is not just the steps themselves, but the links between those steps. So when you have your source code and you go to build that, and when you build it and you go to distribute it, and when you go to distribute it and start to run it, every one of those links in the chain are another potential uh, vector of compromise as well. Yeah, I tend to agree pretty much spot on with what John suggested. It can get really murky, though, like where the start and end points of the supply chain are. John did a great job kind of describing what I would call the middle portion. But some people like to include both ends to that and add more to the middle, like the beginning end being like, is it a part of your secure supply chain that, you know, devs write bugs? Or is that something that you consider in scope when defining like how you're achieving secure software supply chain outcomes? Similarly, on the alternative side, like how are applications being ran, like in the runtime environment? Is that a part of your secure supply chain? I tend not to include those, but some do. Another thing in the middle section that can come up is, you know, just general security policies or best practices for an org. For example, say security doesn't like you using the color blue, right? It's not a real example, but let's go with it. You can't use blue in your code. So they 
have some tool that scans for blue. Uh, and if they find it, they don't like that. Well, is that a part of your secure supply chain? Or I mean, if it were there, it's not really like wrong per se, or it's not like def- by definition less secure. Maybe it is because security doesn't like it, uh, but it gets m- muddy in the waters and it can be a little hard to see where it starts and stops. And isn't there also, I mean, I think for a lot of people when they hear secure software supply chain, they maybe they go back to the solar winds hack that happened earlier this year, right? And that's, and that, that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's, I mean, that's even, that's a, a different kind of connotation, but it's the same thing, right? This idea of just, you have to know <laughs> when you're downloading software, right? You, you're, you know, or when you're buying, when you're using any software, right? Like at some point, yeah, the idea that at some point it could be compromised and maybe if solar winds had a more secure software supply chain, <laughs> this, you know, that would have been an issue. Yeah, and I, I think that highlights one of the, the quintessential problems with security, right, is, is all it takes. And, and the reason I like the analogy of a supply chain, like a literal chain, is that all it takes is one weak link, right? And so in the SolarWinds scenario, it was a build environment, a build system. They were able to get access to that and modify in between the source code and when they actually produced the SolarWinds software. Because it was compromised in that one place, everything else throughout the rest of the supply chain, they just... It was signed in the end of the software was signed by their build system because they didn't realize the previous step had been compromised and then distributed to customers and automatic updates installed new software that was compromised without anybody realizing the full extent of what had happened until much later. And... I, I just had an epiphany. So thank you for this podcast of like how we frame this. But like when we talk about the supply chain and solar winds, we, we can equate this to if we take, let's say, like delivery supply chains, like traditional supply chains, right? How does soap get from however you make soap to actually like on your shelf to buy it, right? That is the solar winds problem where they effectively had an issue in that like truck tran- transportation system that, you know, put bad stuff in your soap. Uh, that is in my, in mine, I think John would agree with this. Like that is secure supply chain at its truest. But where it sometimes gets a little muddy to go back to the that analogy is if we look at like Equifax, right, where they had a problem patching uh, a vulnerability on like a running server. Well, I don't I don't call that a secure supply chain issue. I just think that's like a you're not like following security best practices. So maybe that makes it a little clearer of at least from my perspective where those lines start and stop. And maybe it is tied together because if you're not really aware of what's in your code, you don't even know to patch it to begin with. So are there best practices that kind of help bridge the two domains that you're talking about? I think like what I typically talk about when I think about what you're talking about is like the DevSecOps trend or just security broadly. And how does that overlap with secure supply chain? And certainly you want to be doing it all, right? Like you want to have all the best practices. I think what can be helpful is you don't need to necessarily adopt the like nomenclature or the framing that I have here. Just I think what I like found, often found in our like labs engagements and now when I'm talking to customers is like, let's just make sure we're clear on like, the bounds that you're defining. Cause it's it's in that like really large space where you can start to focus on I have a, a downstream dependency issue and I'm like really focused on patching and it's oh by the way, your like entire code is public to the internet and you have build servers running on, you know, my shoebox behind me or something, right? You don't want to get lost in the the force for the trees or whatever the saying is. Yeah. And I think patching is another great example to highlight the differences between a lot of cloud native software and containerized software versus more traditional 
legacy systems, right? It's if you have servers that are running as physical assets stored in a, you know, IP address system or, you know, inventory control system, you know, hey, I need to go out and patch these hundred systems or thousand systems, whatever it is in, in your enterprise. If you're running thousands of containers, tens of thousands of containers that get spun up and spun down and it's part of the code when a developer is writing a Docker file or something else where they put in wget from the internet and add some random binary into your system or even install a, a trusted you know, Ubuntu or Red Hat or whatever else system dependency. Those things are there and they're inside the container and they proliferate. And the only way to patch a lot of those things because of the ephemeral nature of this is to rebuild at the beginning, go back to the source code, rebuild this container image, and then update your application. And then who knows what could break, right? And this is where we get into automating this entire process. Make sure that as you're securing the supply chain, you can also run this in parallel with your unit tests and your component tests and your integration tests so that you can easily patch these systems and and quickly deliver these updates because patching is not just you go to a server and you do an, an update of those dependencies. It's you go through your entire build and distribution process. Yeah, is that really the big difference? And when you talk about, I mean, so, so you could have a secure software supply chain, I guess, in any model, any architecture, any at any point during the history of computing. But, but what's different today seems to be just, like you said, like the complexity of architectures, the number of, right, the number of containers you could be running and what could be running inside those containers. And just like without automation, it seems like keeping those up or keeping up with that is, is not impossible, right? Like it's just, you, you can't, that, that seems to be the big difference today, I guess. It's just you know, the human mind, you know, and, and no spreadsheet is going to keep track of all the dependencies running inside that, inside that system. I think uh, like an interesting perspective on what you said is on the one hand, you could say that you're totally right. The architectures of today, like the microservice architecture have implemented this like many like paths to production or many supply chains or many ways to get from shelf to soap, right? Uh, that is certainly a, a thing. You could also make the argument that it's maybe less so a reflection of the like potential sprawl of patterns. I, I think that's heavily related, but if I try to play devil's advocate, you could also argue that just the interconnected ease at which, you know, things can be reached and touched today certainly make that secure supply chain a lot different, a lot, uh, a lot easier to hack, a lot easier to get meddled with than when it was, you know, I, I, I bought a server, I put a server behind me, I go to it, I plug into it, I do whatever I'm going to do, put some software on it. Like it, 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 nowadays, like everything's connected, right? So Maybe it's a bit of both. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, you've heard the, at least the, the proof of concept attacks, right? Where like the light bulb is the is the entry point, right? but, right, but right, right. literally everything's connected. There's just yeah, there's there's always yeah, it's not always looking, a way. Look at that dark hole too far, or else we'll all be sad about the various devices running around us. Yeah, and I feel like we we've, we've covered kind of the why why is caring about your software supply chain and your security important like a lot of money is involved usually but i wonder like how do you how do you think about that question how do you think about the importance of secure software supply chain um when you're you know working with customers to both implement different tools and practices alex and john when you're figuring out what to build as you know technology that's solving this problem like what are some of the the challenges that you're thinking about trying to solve? 
I'm really excited to hear from John here because I frankly think he has like the harder job and that he's got to build logical abstractions that work for many customers and their work is super impressive. For me, I have the luxury of being able to go in with a client and say, hey, client, like secure supply chain, security, pick your words, pick your scope. It's important, right? And they're like, yes, security. Of course I want that. Especially like I work primarily with government organizations and then it's cool. Well, where are we going to start? Like, how are we going to start this? Because absent the like amazing work that folks like John are doing to build us like drop in things that solve for parts of this, like even to today, it's still a really hard problem to solve. So I have to be like, well, where's the big risk here? Like, where are the things that will cause you the most problems. And, you know, being working in the public sector, like we tend to have security frameworks that help, you know, address some of this. But even then, I don't I would argue that they haven't caught up with this notion of secure supply chain. I mean, the executive order is still relatively recent in government terms. I think we have a lot to go here to really understand how are we identifying what parts do we need to attack first? But I try to, to you know, put it in risk. Like if I was at SolarWinds, hey, you have effectively a backdoor into every single organization that you work in. That's a really, really hot spot. No, that's not meant to be like shade at them or anything. Security's hard. But like in theory, right, if we did a threat analysis like that one, woo, like we really don't want to mess that up because it's going to push to every single one of our customers, let alone, you know, if we, you know, something else. Yeah, and I, I think that hits home the the exact why why is this important? The stakes have never been higher, right? Uh, software is eating the world. It, it's a phrase we we've all heard, and it's not just our banking software, our money. It's critical infrastructure in the government, right? We saw the shutdown of oil pipelines. We've seen we've seen banks banks shut down. We've seen insurance companies have issues. In order to really ha- like effectively build software to solve these problems, as, as Alex said, is really challenging, especially given the complexity of these customer environments. And so we have to really think through how can we not only make the right set of tools, but make it easy for customers to compose these tools in a way that is reflective of their supply chain, right? So we can't, a a transition to taking a supply chain and securing it's not as easy as virtualization, right? We can't just go in in the middle of the night, turn a physical system into a virtual machine and, and it the you know app team comes in the next day and they don't they don't know the difference we have to work within the the existing processes and environments and constraints that that our customers have today and so that's actually one of the things that we're doing specifically in Tanzu application platform with the supply chain court supply chain choreographer uh, and the open source project behind that cartographer is this is a, a system that allows us to compose these supply chains. And we're specifically building tools to do things like sign container images and verify them when they run in production so that you're running what you actually think uh, you deployed or and you built throughout your supply chain. Being able to easily integrate things like vulnerability scanning of your source code and your container images from your registry. All of those things we have as the building blocks and then allowing you to take your own build system and plug that in your own test frameworks and plug those in so that you can connect this entire process of going from source code to an application running in production and and in each step along these ways how can we introduce trust and verify that trust so that in the end you know what we're running what you intend to run is what really is running in production if I may, John, you've done a much better job probably of staying on 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 question. But if I like slightly fork what you said there, and I, I have a, a question, like, why isn't it as easy as going from hardware to virtualization? Like developer Alex, 
is I legit don't care what truck my soap gets on. I don't care how it gets to the shelf. Like you could put it in whatever bottle you want. It makes no difference to me as long as it still smells like lavender, you know, whatever I, at the end, that's all I want. So naively, I'm like, it's, it's not me. I don't think me developer Alex is making this hard for you. You can definitely swap out whatever you want, but I'm curious, what are the constraints there that you're seeing that make it so it's not as easy as just swapping it out for some beautiful tap component or Townsend application platform component? Yeah, that's a, a good question. And I think that where we probably end up is that intersection of the changes that we make to these systems and how they do affect developer Alex. And we talk about shift left all the time, right? So we have a lot of these processes that happened at the end of a supply chain. At the very end, you're ready to release, you're ready to push that button and go live, and somebody runs a security scan. And it turns out, oh, by the way, we actually need Alex to go and update this dependency in a source code or up this, update this dependency in your base image. And then you got to go through the whole process all over again. But if you, if you change this and you do take on some burden of, of those responsibility of doing it a little bit earlier. You can save all that time of everything that happened after the fact in this supply chain. And at the same time, the tools need to improve as well, right? And that's part of uh, iterating on this and understanding how to improve them is the number of false positives from vulnerability scanners or different things like that. And that's an area where build packs are super interesting, right? Because they can give you that language specific framework and understanding of how things should be happening a little bit differently for Java versus Golang versus Ruby versus other things like that. And then also standardizing those base images, making sure that there's a consistent way of rolling that out within your environment so that every application you built is built on that same lower level that meets all of these requirements that you have. But all those things, like if you're an organization looking to adopt cloud native build packs, you're definitely going to have to change the way that you do some things. And so if everybody did everything the way we wanted, it would be easy. But we also like, we have to meet people where they're at. Translation, what I heard is like using, like going from like server, like hard server to like vSphere. Those are pretty, both pretty established things going from whatever random pipeline service composer, whatever someone's using to get to prod to a whole new set of tools. It's a really hard problem. And we still are working out like, how do you fix those bits and bobs, which is cool. I appreciate that. Thank you. Where, what, what, who, or actually maybe which persona maybe is the, is the, I don't know if that's the right word. It's a very markety word, but like who ends up eating the brunt of that change? You think, I mean, is it developers? When I, when I hear shift left, I always, especially in the security context, I think you're, you're asking developers to do an awful lot, right? But maybe, may, and, and, but maybe the goal, obviously the goal is that it doesn't change their day-to-day workflow that much, right? But I'm, I'm just curious, like when you're, especially when you're, when you're building on Alex, probably even when you're helping, you know, customers deploy these things, like who actually ends up seeing the biggest change or who ends up having to adjust the most? I I think from my experience, it depends on how radically you're asking the developers to change their architecture to meet the new like delivery model, right? Because if your application developers are already developing cloud native applications, like I do think that the vast majority of the supply chain work is going to fall on your operators changing how they view the world, how they interact with developers and how they provide that stuff for them to consume. Because the reality is in that world, developers are going to continue to try to get to prod no matter how they can, because that's the business pressure, right? Like you got to get the stuff out, but operators are going to have to find a way to make that consumable, useful and, and nice for developers. The flip side 
is if you're saying, hey, you're building a monolith and oh, by the way, we're also going to be doing an, like building a new secure supply chain that doesn't fit your app architecture. Yeah, I mean, of course, like developers are going to have to really change the way that they behave in, in lots of ways, which could be challenging for them. And I think you know, security doesn't uh, get brought up a lot here, maybe, but I think they have a lot to do in that these new like supply chain models and really just the way, direction we're going does does require and ask security to have defined policies, strong opinions that can be codified, which can be hard and can feel risky for security teams. Cause you're like, wait, I have to like write it down exactly what I want to have happen uh, or not happen. It's a hard thing to get people to commit to. When I was listening to you talk through all the different tools and, and what teams it affects and how hard it is, it makes me think that this is generally very custom to the specific dev team or to the, at least to the specific, you know, company that you're working with. So how, I mean, how customized does secure software supply chain tooling need to be? Like, is it possible to, for us, say, as a vendor or as consultants to go in and have a very strong opinion that will just like work for most organizations and it can be this repeatable opinion? Or is there a lot more nuance to some of these choices that we're asking customers to make or that they, they just need to make? So I, I think if you've ever looked at the CNCF landscape picture, right, you look at this and that just is the the picturefication of like, say no more what, john <laughs> how many how complex this environment can be and so having a set of strong opinions is not going to get you very far and this is why we're really interested in working in the upstream open source community um, whether it's uh, in the cncf projects like intoto and tough or notary uh, sigstore is a new foundation it's part of the or new group in the linux, linux foundation specifically looking at image signing transparency law uh, and a whole bunch of other sets of problems in this space and driving standards and consistency about how to solve this orthogonal supply chain set of considerations that are they're really you can have consistency on how to secure your supply chain even if you're using a very diverse set of tools and and you can we can do that with standards and cooperation across the industry. And so there's a lot of folks that are interested in this. Sigstore has contributions from Google and Red Hat and VMware and a ton of other smaller startups as well and, and a lot of security players. And we're going to see, I think, a really driving force across the industry of like how do we solve this problem together because we, we can't solve it on our own. We mentioned the CNCF, and I think with so much with so much moving toward Kubernetes and Kubernetes kind of being the default platform or runtime environment for for applications. Does that make it, obviously on the one hand, it's complex, right? And there's a lot of open source projects and there's a lot of activity. But on the other hand, you know, I think arguably it's modular, right? It's composable. You can, you can customize stuff and build to your specifications. I mean, I'm curious how Kubernetes as that, that substrate actually affects how this work gets done. Yeah, I think the thing about Kubernetes, there are probably two different parts to this. One is the container image, right? So everything that's going to run on Kubernetes will be a container image. And that gives you that standard, that OCI specification that defines what is the, the software that will be run. And you can do a lot of things with that specification. You can attach image signatures. You can attach attestations, proof that this source code went into this container image and was built into this binary and went through all of these steps that you require as an organization. 
And then the other part that you get is the consistent runtime environment, right? The consistent way to apply policy to that environment to say, hey, I'm running and I know how the Kubernetes admission controllers work. And the, before a pod starts up, there is a very consistent way to check does this meet all the requirements to be admitted into this cluster? Has it been signed? Has it been verified and tested to? And if it doesn't, then we don't do that. And so I think those two things really enable this, this power and this capability. And that's, an, like you said, it's a platform and we're working on integrating at that platform layer so that people can get up and above that and really focus on, you know, Alex, the developer just wants to write his code and get this thing into prod and then let the rest of the ecosystem take care of those problems below. Speaking of developers, are there, and we, you know, we've talked a little bit about asking developers to take on more and shift left, but what do you think about that? Like what, what do you think software developers need to be doing differently or, or how do you think there needs to be a mindset shift in the developer community, if, if any, to really embrace like secure software supply chain outcome? I think it, it like harkens back to the stuff John was kind of just implying and that I think the, the ecosystem needs to settle a little bit. Like it needs to settle on some good standards and practices because to John's point, if if like for a while we've been deploying to Kubernetes, but that was done on, you know, GitLab CI, like those are two fundamentally different systems that behave in fundamentally different ways. And it's more things for developers to try to interact with. And, you know, as the team, as I think the ecosystem is trying to find ways in this space, I think it will naturally result in developers having uh, clearer paths to prod tools that feel more natural to them. So it won't be as like trying to take the horse to water type deal. Like they, I think developers, most developers, I think want to do the right thing. They don't want to have security issues. They don't want to get bothered because their app crashed. They want to do things right. But right now it's just, okay, which of the, you know, 4,000 tiles on the CNCF landscape is going to solve this problem? And how do I render that in a way that's going to, it's just, it's got to, it's got to settle down a little bit to be a little bit more straightforward. Yeah, and, and I think the, the tooling part to that is super important, right? Because we're not, when we say shift left, we're not asking developers to become security experts. We're not asking them to become experts in, in all these different areas that are being shifted left with quality or, or anything else. What we need to do is enable them to have the tools to do that job with less information. And from an organizational standpoint, that may mean that you not only just shift the responsibility left, but other people. If you're increasing the efficiency of doing these things, hopefully that allows some resources to take some security people, embed them with the engineers and the teams developing the software so that they can really understand the, you know, the results of a scan report or different problems are trying to be solved by shifting those responsibilities left. I'm curious, Alex, you mentioned that executive order. It's a little off topic, but you mentioned that executive order that came out, I think it was in the spring, and about really about securing the software supply chain, right? I mean, that was, that was more or less the gist of it. And I'm wondering, just if, when, you, when you look at federal agencies and when you talk about some of the very important stuff that was running the software base now, do you, I mean, what's your sense in terms of how far along any agencies are, I mean, or a lot of agencies are really toward getting to that point, I think federal agencies have a reputation of being behind the times, right? And as again, as software just keeps moving forward, kind of this exponential rail. You know, how do how do we actually get get them to where they need to be? <laughs> I think they they there's a lot of challenges ahead, but not for the reasons that I think are most natural to think of. Of you know, not being able to like adapt fast enough to the changes in the executive order. I think it's mostly just hey, like 
the software that we're running is still like in a different model, a different delivery system. There's a lot to modernize, I think, to get to the space to where like the secure supply chain EO really starts to come in and really starts to play uh, a very relevant and, and, uh, and uh, like timely story for the federal government. I think where I'm, I'm hopeful, I think, where I'm hopeful that the executive order will go is it will be read less as a, hey, government agencies, when you build, you know, you know, random gov like government website.com make sure you don't build that with you know bad dependencies and stuff like that yes that's important but i'm really hopeful that the work that the government is doing around standards with supply chain i hope that it comes out in ways that affect industry in positive ways that you know hopefully don't stifle innovation and all the things that can can happen in that domain but like really encourage the industry to adapt some of the good ideas that exist around how we do secure like delivery and we see the benefit of the government being like hey like Got, uh, you know, VMware, you got to build yourself secure. And here's how I kind of want you to do that. And I'm going to check a little bit, right? Uh, hopefully not with 4,000 people auditors, but hopefully we can make this a way that that's, that supports everyone. But that's what I'm excited about. And I know it's a little bit of a tangent from specifically, like, how are they doing? They've got a ways to go. <laughs> but I think, but so does industry is the, is my honest answer. So I'm really curious, John, to get back to what you were saying about organizations needing to think about how they're investing in people and team structure, like how, you know, maybe you can move some security folks and embed them with your engineers. Are there other changes that organizations need to think about other, um, you know, team structure changes that leaders need to think about or, or other folks other than developers need to think about like architects when it comes to secure supply that is a good question. And I think looking at the, you know, in the end, what we want to deliver on is the customer outcomes, right? And so looking at, you know, all the things that, that Alex just talked about in terms of how we can really, to me, like what I hear when he's saying that is raise the, um, you know, elevate the quality of the software and the standards for the software that's being developed. And so I think it's going to also be an operational aspect to this as well, too, where there's some, you know, we, we shift left into the developers and how they build the software, but then we need to make sure that we have the right things in place when we're operating it to enforce all of the things that we want to have as standards and, and improve the quality and the security there. I will add, like one thing we see in a lot of our engagements with the federal government is uh, really trying to adopt like the like General Stanley McChrystal has like kind of made big the team of teams model. And that's something that we've really started try to encourage our customers to embrace of if you have this like command structure, we especially see it in some of our federal engagements where there's typically like a, hey, you build this thing because I told you to. Okay, cool. I build this thing because I was told to versus a, a continuous feedback loop of people that are enabled to make decisions. So to your question, Danielle, around like architects or, you know, should security move closer? Uh, there's lots of ways that we can start that but i think what what we always stand firm on is you've got to have teams that are enabled to talk to their users and make relevant decisions and are, and are structured in a way that makes it so it's not you know i well i was told to deploy this thing i don't really know why but so i just do uh, okay i was told to do this security thing oh okay well why like what what's the thing here and not not to get too product specific but but i am curious like john you were talking earlier about townsview application platform and you know we've been you know, VMware certainly has been talking about DevSecOps for for a while now. And I, I'm curious, like, what, like, number one, in a perfect world, 
and maybe the perfect world is just you know you you would use what we're building, right? But what does what does that secure supply chain actually look like? What are the pieces from whatever point A to end point that that are part of that? You know how how does that how does an application flow through this thing from like build to deploy to to testing? And then I'm also curious on this is like an 87 part question, but is because. Because I also saw some research coming out of uh, another unit within VMware, which was talking very much about how security and developers like are at loggerheads within a lot of organizations still. And they view each other as like the the enemy. And I'm curious how the tooling maybe or what is like may, can like the tooling help bring those two together? I mean, if you can enforce policies in a way that doesn't obstruct development or I don't know, that's a lot, a lot of things jammed in there, but. <laughs> Yeah, so I think the security and developers is like an age-old feud that will probably continue forever. And I think at least my goal as someone developing products is to solve that problem by making sure they don't have to talk as much maybe or, or collaborate less. If the tools are working well and they're effective for the developers, they shouldn't yes. need to go and and talk with the security folks about this. It should be intrinsic to the platform and just a part of how everything flows from source code to a running application in production. And so I, I think... Um, there's a there's a huge gap there though. There's a long road to to walk down before we get to that, and that kind of takes us to what does this ideal software supply chain look like? And I think that this is where you have a great thing to look at for a definition of this is the Salsa framework. And so the Salsa framework is specifying a few different levels from level one up to level four of essentially compliance with different types of security requirements for your supply chain. And it, it the high end level four includes things that are more process related as well. Your source code should be reviewed by at least multi, you know, two people. So that's, you know, you look at best practices of uh, maybe pair programming is a, how you meet part of that requirement. Maybe it's just a separate review process. There's no platform specific recommendation for how to meet that requirement. It's more of an organizational question. And then we get really deep into the technical stuff of looking at hardware attestations of the system that is building your software itself, potentially building your all of your binaries and your artifacts in multiple different places on multiple disparate sets of hardware, and then comparing the two to make sure that what you build in location A exactly matches bit for bit what you built in location B to make sure all of that infrastructure was secured properly. And then eventually getting all the way to this complex set of policy enforcement and having all that work just naturally and, and out of the box as a part of a platform it would be you know, my, my dream vision of where we could end up <laughs> at, at some point in the future. I, uh, I, I, this is whenever I get to talk to John, this is always the moment where I'm just like, man, he is like dreaming for some big dreams where I'm like, I just want something that like runs tests consistently. That's all. I feel like I'm not asking for much, but one thing I do want to get on my soapbox for five seconds and really shout out John and team. And I actually don't know why they did this. I don't know where it's going. This isn't a plug beyond like the Tanto application platform beta right now ships with supply chains. Like you can install a supply chain. Like Every single customer that I've talked to expects us to have an opinion on a supply chain, help them figure out how to implement it, 
every single one every single one because they're like hey you know i'm a bank like what i like i'm not in like defining secure supply chains like that's you vmware or whoever right so i i am so excited and i hopefully to your question Derek, i hope we will continue this pattern of having an out of the box option that i frankly think will go 96 percent of the way and hopefully you know start to like through the through the feedback that you know john and everyone else that's working really hard on this project here is they can start to make like hey well like application developers are screaming at security a lot because there's lots of findings. It's like, well, maybe we need to change the interface there to make it so that way, you know, they don't have to get in the room and yell at each other more. It's a, you know, a simple, you know, like a button that sends a friendly text message or I don't know, we'll see where they go. But I'm, ex I'm very excited for that. And if anybody out there that's listening to this, that's working on that, please don't stop, please. I was just going to say, elevating supply chains to a top-level domain concept in application platform is something that I'm super excited to see as well. And and the team working on it is really thinking about these things all of the time. And I think it's going to give the right la layer of abstraction to help customers build this and, and eventually secure all of their supply chains. Yes, and anything is better than just pull whatever you want off Docker Hub and and go to not town. that we do that, Derek. We don't do that ever. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. I think. Uh, I guess I'm getting as right. We're definitely at the point where so something is better than nothing, and something good, right? Fantastic. Like that, you don't have to think about. Yeah, I really like this idea of uh, sending text messages to the security team. I think you need to make sure it has a lot of emoji and maybe some like spa music with it, and that would be a. Uh, a we found feature. one new vulnerability. It's okay. <laughs> We're on it. <laughs> well, this has been a really great conversation and I've learned a lot. Derek, do you have any other questions for our esteemed guests? I don't think I do. No, I think. Yeah. All I keep thinking about is like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have this, this very thoughtful discussion with, with John and Alex. And then next week I'm going to read about 800,000 MongoDB instances <laughs> unsecured on the open internet. <laughs> They're just going to go like, ah, that, that's a security I know that's outside the supply chain but it's uh... <laughs> but those MongoDBs probably won't be pulled from Docker Hub because again we don't do that so it'll be alright like it'll be you know steps maybe steps <laughs> <laughs> oh well thank you both so much for joining us it's been really fun thank you all yeah thanks for having me